If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. The talent for so many players today, the talent in the spotlight, it's taking them to heights that their character's not strong enough to support. I'm one of those set goals, chief goals. I talked about faith, passion, obviously the drive the guys that I've been around and the guys that surround me every single day. If I want to be one of the best, I've got to play with and against the best. Okay, so that which gets praised gets repeated. You're listening to The Hardwood Hustle, brought to you by PGC Basketball. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Hardwood Hustle broadcast here in Chicago, Illinois. I'm your host, Adam Bradley, alongside Mr. Sam Allen, who's filling in for TJ Rosine. Today we're joined by special guest Mono Watts, the president of PGC Basketball, and we are here at the PGC Glazier Clinic having a great time. Uh, but today we've got a great, great episode. Uh, Mono actually spoke on this, uh, uh, speaks on this during the circuit. Four keys to a great practice. And coaches, I promise you by the end of this, you're going to have some thoughts and ideas and, and different uh, uh, techniques to, to really maximize your practice. But four keys to a great practice. Where does... Where, where did you start, Mano? I'm going to kind of tee it up for you, okay? You know, as you start going through this, four keys to a great practice. Where, where does your thought process begin about trying to identify where do we begin? Yeah, sure. First of all, always a pleasure to be on the show with you, Adam and Sam. Uh, pleasure to join you, you both. And so I, I start with the, the assumption that coaches have some general baseline understanding of the importance of, of preparing for a practice and so of course it always starts with preparation and and uh, organizing your thoughts around what do you need to cover to help prepare your team to be successful so just assuming that as a baseline it really my my four keys to a great practice are around how to maximize the time in practice mm. And so, uh, so if you'd like to jump in, I'm happy to. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's what, do it. I what, know I love this. What, what the, uh, a first critical component of creating a great practice is ensuring that you're getting high reps on key skills. High reps. So they've got to get a lot of volume on the key skills. And, and think scales in music. So where I picked this one up was my three kids are violinists, and they've been playing violin for nearly a decade every day. And one of the things they've done from the time they were young is they would do the scales on the violin. And if you've ever had uh, somebody play piano, I used to take piano as a, as a kid and used to always step, uh, step in front of the piano and, and do the scales first. Why? Because that, that was, the scales are really the building blocks for everything else that you do. So it got me thinking about what are the building blocks or what's the foundation that allows everything to be uh, that everything else can be built upon and so ultimately as a coach it's important to think what are those key skills what are the scales in basketball which is exactly what i was going to ask so so in your opinion what are you identifying as the key skills well I, I think we work really hard as coaches to ensure our players get good shots, whether it's our defensive efforts to create a turnover and try and get a layup or a, a fast break in transition to get an, an, an easy score or setting up somebody for an open shot. Either way, uh, however that breaks down, we're trying to get easy shots. So one of the most important things is to be able to make 
easy shots. Mm. And so I think that starts with layups. And so, so that's a high rep on key skills activity. And in addition to that, then getting lots of shots off shooting. How do you define high reps, though? Because I, I hear that. I'm a coach. I'm listening. I'm like, sounds good, right? Yeah, I'm, what's, high, what's a high rep? Yeah, I, I think anything that they can do 30 to 50 times in a practice. Hmm. I would consider that to be a high rep. Interesting. And so, for example, with a, a, as a as a case in point with layups, if you have six baskets in a two court gym that you have, as many coaches would in their practice, if there are six baskets and you have twelve players, you can have two players at a basket, and you can have one player doing the layups and they're attacking from the free throw line and they dribble in and let's say they shoot a jump stop layup. Well, the way we do it is we would have them shoot the jump-stop layup, except their partner is going to be a guided defender, and they're going to be standing under the basket because most players can make a layup without any defense. But then they step into a game, and what was a 95% uh, uh, chance of going in when there was no defense becomes 35% chance, chance of going in when there is defense because they're not used to contact and they're not used to a hand up so just by putting a layup a player there to act as a helper defense they're not trying to block it they're just an active presence and we would go dribble in make the layup or take the take the layup grab the rebound dribble back the other side of the key to the free throw line do an around the back move at the free throw line and attack again with speed and shoot the layup again against the other that same defender you do three to the right three to the left and then switch and now your partner goes so you're doing a layup at least 50% of the time and when you're not you're not just standing around you're actually helping your partner to get mm. better and are you focusing on like one key skill of practice right in this high rep kind of fashion or are you trying to tackle two or three a practice and then move to something else the next day or is it kind of one a day yeah you know coaches could break down what uh, ha- ha- what they think may work best we tend to do our layups every other day and we do our close range shooting that helps them to work on their shooting form which we think are kind of the scales in practice um every other day as well and sometimes even um, every day on the shooting side and and by the way we always compete in everything that we do so even the layups there's two players per basket it's the first partner group to make a total of 12 layups so they've got to make three to the right three to the left their partner has to make three to the right three to the left and we'll just rapid fire go through a whole number of different types of layups so they're working on power finishes jump stops reverse layups uh, stretch finishes and and each competition is only lasting 60 to 90 seconds. Mm. So in the course of five to seven minutes, they've each made, between them and their partner, they've each made 30 to 40 layups. And I think this plays into your, your second point, right? Uh, no standing, yeah. is that it? No standing. I mean, but, but it plays in, right? High intensity, right? Full activity, both individuals engaged in the process, not just one sitting back watching and observing. Yeah, and think amusement parks here. Mm. Just like we said, think, uh, think scales in music, think amusement parks. Everyone loves the ride when kids go to the amusement park, but everyone hates waiting in line for the ride. This is true. Our mm. job as coaches is to make sure our players are spending the time on the rides, not waiting in line. 
if if we haven't figured out how to get our players on the ride where they're actually getting the repetitions, they're moving, they're sweating, they're active. I, I think we're falling short as a coach. One of our responsibilities is to figure out how to get the ball in our players' hands as often as possible where they're doing things that they're going to need to do in games, not standing, waiting in line. And, and when they don't have the ball in their hands, you've got them active and involved as passers, defenders, right? Yeah, and, and, and sometimes even they're partnered and they're the encourager. They're the reminder. They're, when we say, act like you're their personal trainer for the next 30 seconds. And so one player is doing the work, the other player's shaping up their team member, giving reminders and encouragement, and then they switch. And don't you think that one of the biggest shifts here for a coach is not to be the, the sage on the stage where they're stopping practice and having a 10-minute monologue, coaching in shorter sound bites? Don't you think that's a common mistake? Common mistake, yeah. And, and, and so that, that, once again, creates the standing. And so what, one of the things I did with our high school uh, varsity team manager this year is the number one thing I had him track was the amount of time that I spoke or taught compared to the, how often or the amount of time spent with players doing reps and actually getting work in. And how did it shake out, Mana? Not as well as I would have thought. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, got, we, we, were, we were basically we were shooting for 75% or higher. Okay. 75% or higher, and there were some practices, teaching practices, where it dropped down to about 65%. And I said, ouch, we've got to get our players more reps, and other times we got as high as 80%. So is the, this intentional effort to not have standing, is that in every aspect of the practice? Or are you like becoming that obsessive over that desire to you know, or is it in most of? Yeah, I, I would say gener- when they're actually when they're actually in drills. So there's going to be times in which you're teaching and and you're explaining, and that that needs to happen. But once they get started, how do we get the maximum number of players? Uh, with a ball in their hands or doing whatever they're doing. Mm, great stuff. Let, let's take a quick break, and then we'll jump into the final two points of your four keys to a great practice. But say a quick halftime talk with our friends over at Team Snap. Thanks to our friends over at Team Snap for today's communication halftime tip. If you talk to most coaches about communication, they'll share that they feel like their team's not communicating well. They'll say their guys or their girls on the court just simply don't communicate. Unfortunately, if you dig a little deeper, you find out that few coaches are actually teaching players what to communicate and how to communicate. They simply just want them to communicate. Well, I think most coaches should know that if we're not teaching the how and the what, we probably won't accomplish what we hope to accomplish. See, this is something PGC has mastered at their summer sessions in teaching players how to communicate. Here's a great starting point for you. On court, just have your players remember to communicate encouragement, reminders, and names. Just simply start there. It'll give your players something to hold on to. Encouragement, reminders, and names as a great place to begin to enhance their on-court communication. Players, coaches, best of luck this week. And thanks to our friends over at TeamSnap. Make sure you check out teamsnap.com backslash hustle to learn more about the communication app serving over 15 million people across the globe, helping bring everything together from a scheduling perspective and get coaches, parents, and players all on the same page all season long. Mono, continuing on here, point three, where are you going with this? Four keys to a great practice. 
Well, we can just think video games here. Gamify, gamify, gamify. I like this. You, you know what? Video games have really mastered, and they've captured the hearts and minds of not just athletes, <laughs> young people. In fact, not, not even just young people, adults as well. How of games like Fortnite and so many others? Well, we we can think back to uh, to our growing up years when Super Mario Brothers was around, and you know how did how did they how how did Nintendo capture us, and and how do how do video game producers today do it? How do they make it so that it's addictive? You don't want to stop. But if we can learn from that and apply that in our practices, and it's very simple, the principle of gamifying things. And how do you gamify? You come up with what's the, what's the next challenge or the new challenge? What's the next level and what's the reward? Mm-hmm. What's the challenge? What's the next level and what's the reward? So I'll just give you one or two specific examples if you'd like. So often we'll put our players on a line because they may, maybe it's a consequence or maybe it's some conditioning and we say everybody at, on the line and they're going to do some form of sprints. And we just have them run and we expect them to run their hardest. Well, what if we just change that run slightly? And you were to pull two of the slower players up to the free throw line if you were doing a down and back from, from wall to wall or baseline to baseline. And then you you said, if you think one of your, you're one of the fastest players, everybody else is on the baseline, but if you think you're one of the fastest players on the team, get down into the push-up position. So now you've taken your slowest players, and they've got a head start. You've taken your fastest players, and they're well beyond every, everyone else. And now what do you have? You don't have a sprint. You don't have a conditioning drill. Your do you game. know what you get? Yeah, you've got a race. And everybody gets excited about a race. Right. And so we actually even call them races. We say we're going we're gonna to have some races now. Who, who Why decides? Not? Why who? not? It accomplishes the goal that you want to accomplish, right? It does it in a, a more fun and entertaining, engaging way. Who decides who's the slowest player? <laughs> yeah, well, the sometimes coach? I'll just witness and and see. But uh, other times we'll let players volunteer. Hey, if you think you're one of the slowest players on the team, you're going to be the rabbit, and the other guys are going to be the the dogs chasing the rabbit. You know, Mana, we've got a mutual friend, uh, Steve Shenbaum, that's kind of mastered this gamifying, right? Like, if, you, if you're a coach who wants to learn a little bit more about the, the concept of, like, gamifying, go Game On Nation. That's what they've built an entire career on, figuring out how to create and master that gamifying. And, and I know in Lead em Up, we, we spend a lot of time, we'll take a, a normal communication exercise and how can we create a little element of incentive and competition and reward in there. And then there's, there's another dynamic that gets thrown sometimes in there and mystery right like if we can get past this like you know there's a surprise for us at the end and we don't know what it is but we're going to work really hard at this you know because we may get rewarded because coach said you know if you do a great job i've got something special now all of a sudden oh really you got something special let's do it you know but but i love the analogy right gamifying coaches think about this right you know we quickly label young adults all the time and teenagers as add and adhd and stuff like that we give that label but to your point about the video games, you may have a kid who's ADD, but they will sit in front of a computer for seven hours playing a video game, right? Yeah, if so, it's a good video game, you'd never see them turn it off. So do they really have an attention deficit or the way or we're presenting it? Maybe that's what's deficient. Mm-hmm. That's good. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. that's good. And there's, and there's so many different applications of this because when we put everybody on the line, the same players are usually first in any sprint, and the same players are usually last. 
But we haven't really challenged the players that are first, and we certainly haven't done much to challenge or help the esteem of those players who are last. But just think about anything else, any other form of challenge that we give. We tend to have all of our players do the same thing when they're all at different levels. Mm, good point. And so if whether it's a shooting drill or even dropping and, and doing some form of consequence like push-ups, anything you can think of, the moment you put in different levels and let the players know, you choose your level. Level one is this. Level two, see if you can make six shots in 30 seconds. Level three, see if you can make nine. You choose your level. I'm intrigued by this. You choose your level. So what? what let, let's unpack that a little bit. The player's choosing. Is that going to add an additional you, kind of ownership to it? Is that the thought process? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So we do something at our PGC summer sessions called Win Your Way to Lunch. And one w- of the Win th- Your Way to Lunch? Yeah, yeah. So they have the Win Their Way to I want to play gym. this game. Yeah, and, and w- after a, a gym session of learning, they get into a one-on-one game, and they might have to score three in a row to win their way out. Well, do you know who wins their way out the, 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 the first all the time? The hungriest. <laughs> Close. <laughs> okay. The best players. Oh, yeah. The best players. And you know who's the last ones to win their way out? The weakest players. And so we got to thinking about it and thought, wait a minute. Why, why, why wouldn't we challenge the best players and make it harder for them and actually make them have to go longer than everyone else? They're the most committed, usually the most keen, the most dedicated, and we're letting them off the easiest because they win their way out first. So what if we actually let every athlete choose? Hey, you can choose... You've got to score two in a row, three in a row, or four in a row to win your way to lunch. And you choose. And by the way, stretch yourself. Put pressure on yourself. What are you capable of? And so some players will choose two. And once in a while, we'll see a player that under-challenges themselves. But generally, do you know what we found with most athletes, especially most competitors? The, the, ideal, the ideal level for anyone is a, a challenge slightly above what they're presently capable of. That's the most fulfilling, rewarding experience Hmm. when somebody can be successful in something that's just slightly above. If it's too far above, it's demoralizing. If it's too easy... It's not fulfilling. It's not fulfilling. And so if you want to design for fun and design for challenge, you've got to appropriately challenge your players based on the levels that they're at. And within a team of 12 players, you'll rarely have players at the same level. So will a two play a four? Like... So is that how the scenario would break out on that one-on-one? One, one would be playing up to four, and the other one would be playing up to two? Yeah, yeah. So there's rotating defenders and new players coming in. Okay. Yeah, but essentially one player just knows, I just got to score twice, and I'm out of here. <laughs> and and we'll occasionally have a, a, a player that hasn't left, and we say, didn't you get four in a row? They say, Coach, I challenged myself. I got to get six. Mm. Ah, okay. They're the last player in the gym. And do you know what? They're loving the challenge of it. And they owned it and they placed it on them. So I think another key piece of creating great practices is gamifying. Yeah, I love that. And Sam, I remember had a chance to actually watch one of your practices. And you, mm-hmm. you asked me to observe. And, and one thing to observe was kind of end of practice conditioning, right? You know, is, or do we tire out towards the end of practice? And, and to this point, this gamifying, I kind of came to the observation afterwards that I didn't think it had anything to do with end of practice and conditioning. It had everything almost to do with the gamifying, right? Because there were moments early in practice and even moments very at the end when you had the exercises gamified, mm-hmm. that's when we saw an increase in intensity. That it wasn't a matter of like, oh, end of practice, we brought it down. It was oh, maybe at the end of practice, we didn't gamify the exercise as well as we did three quarters of the way in practice. Mm-hmm. And that the en- ebbs and flows of the energy 
simply went along the lines of the gamifying that you had in place in practice? Well, I think everything Manu is speaking to here, the thread I see through all of it is there. you're keeping players engaged. How do you do that? Games. Game, people want to play games. Uh, how else? They want to compete. Don't games, have yeah. them standing. Don't have them standing. They're going to be disengaged. How else? Give them autonomy. We all want autonomy in our lives, and you know, young or old. Uh, high reps, like I don't want to just be standing. So all these, you're keeping them engaged. To, to a, you know, that's a great practice, right? And I'm intrigued by the fourth one, Mono. Go yeah, for the it. fourth one. Let me just say on that first one, the high reps. When they get high reps, they improve. And when players improve, well, the the pursuit of mastery and and seeing improvement, experiencing improvement, is one of the things that helps grow not just a player's confidence, but also their love of the game. <clears throat> when you get better, the better a player gets, the more they love the game. Yeah, it's why young people don't like golf because yeah. <laughs> they're not good at it. Seriously. Yeah. Oh, like like golf's not fun when you shoot over a hundred, but if you're good at it, yeah. it's an extremely enjoyable experience. Yeah, I know that to be true because uh, <laughs> the first time I shot a hundred, I, I I thought that was pretty good because it was my first time out and I heard scores you know uh, above a hundred weren't so good, but I thought hundred not bad. Until I found out, you know, well, hundreds not so good when it's only been nine holes. <laughs> so, so. Yeah, at that point, call it a day. Yeah, yeah. So let's go on to uh, the fourth one, and and the fourth one is really creating an arc to your practice, and that's all to do with pace, the pace that you create and the arc, because a good practice has a climax and it builds. So think of a good movie. A good movie. The plot builds and the plot thickens and you get to that climax in a good movie. If you're ever at a point in a good movie where you stop and you look at your watch, you've got problems. And coach, if you're coaching a practice and your players glance up at the clock on the wall, you've got problems. You haven't created the arc to a practice in which everything is building. The plot is thickening. It's moving towards an ultimate end. And so I think that ultimate end is some form of team-wide competing, team-wide game. So you start off with the skill development, the high reps on key skills, and you build from there, and you start to move from more individual skills to more team-related concepts, and it keeps building until finally you hit the ultimate competitions. And when coaches get that right, well, that's just like a good movie, thrilling. (laughs) I love it. Listen, Hollywood producers are phenomenal at building that hype, okay? So... I get it. Reaching and, and striving for that climax. What things are you doing as a coach in addition to the drills, building up that excitement of what's to come? Because a lot of it's going to play into your energy, the way you're communicating, the way you present and vision cast. Hey, at the end, what are some of the secret sauce in between the drills and stuff to helping build and facilitate that excitement? Well, I think part of that secret sauce is kind of letting the cat out of the bag a little bit and just letting him know, here's where we're going today in practice. Here's what we're going to be building towards. And so they already know. So you might not know this. I was blown away when I heard this. Did, did you know if, if, if someone uh, watches the very end of a movie, you just catch the tail end, and you see what happens, how the movie ends, you think that would ruin the movie. But did you know studies actually show that that actually enhances the experience for the moviegoer? <laughs> it, <laughs> It, it seems kind of I, I, almost illogical. <laughs> you think it would spoil it, 
but it actually shows the studies show that it makes the movie even more rewarding and more fulfilling. It just blew my mind when I heard that. But so it, it's kind of the same way. You're having trouble. I can tell I, by I your am. facial I, I'm, expression. I'm like trying to put my head around this. I, I like movies and I like practices. Am I wrong for wanting this? I like them when we come out of the gate strong, and it's high energy. So would that be a bad practice if we come out and we're just high energy all the way through? Or do you think? Oh no! I, do you know what? I think the energy level can be consistent. You want the pace and the energy to be high throughout. So it's not necessarily that the energy is building, but and you can be even competing throughout as well. But I think when things go from just individual development and competition and build up to finally team competition or what I'd say ultimately ends in full court, I, I like to as much as possible end practice with something where they're ultimately in a full court game or competition. So that's what I mean by building up. So I agree, Sam, 100%. Energy is always high. The pace is high. You get your teaching out of the way early. You don't want to have an arc to the practice in which you start off high energy and then slow down to teach. That's why my mentor coach, before he even got on the court, he used to like to teach in the classroom first so he could kind of get the teaching out of the way. And once they got to the court, they were then picking up speed i agree 100 percent on the on the energy piece but if you tip off your players to here's where we're going in practice just like a a a movie and what the studies show it might actually enhance the experience and don't you think there's the art of coaching to know when you've hit that arc and to 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 bow out at a high point because sometimes coaches will you'll get that high point and then you'll slowly start dissipating and climbing down the mountain, and they end it too late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You end practice on some teaching because you saw something in the in the game that they weren't doing, and you spend the last ten minutes teaching. That's really anticlimactic. I, I was actually uh, with Masai Ujiri, the the GM of the Toronto Raptors, and we were in Kenya, and he, he was putting on a clinic with his Giants of Africa program, and I was a part of it. And uh, time had kind of slipped by on him, and he had asked me to do some. T- teaching and the arc of the the session had gone on and all the players were playing full court and all of a sudden he realized i hadn't done my teaching and i thought he had just decided to postpone it but it turned out he had just forgotten about it so he came to me and he said i can stop the games right now and you could do teaching for the last 15 minutes he said so let me just blow the whistle are you ready to go and as much as i was eager to teach the players i knew it would destroy the arc and the climax of the practice so i said Let's save it for another time. Mono, this is great stuff. So uh, going over the four keys, first key, high reps on key skills. Second one, no standing. I love the, the think amusement parts, right? Uh, number three, gamify. One of my favorites, gamify, gamify, gamify. Think video games. And then uh, the last one, building that arc, reaching that climax. And I'm still just blown away and baffled. Like, do people actually watch end of movies and then watch the movie like no no is that it? yeah yeah do you know what actually happens no so, i don't somebody somebody, no spo- somebody spoils the ending for them so they haven't watched the movie and then you say oh don't tell me what happens and they say i won't she dies though and, oh no she dies and now they're more intrigued and and it, studies show <laughs> it doesn't actually spoil the movie they actually enjoy it more. That's what the studies show. <laughs> this is like, I don't know if, if, if Sam or Kate watch like Bachelorette or Bachelor, those shows. Smith Sarah, and I are guilty of it sometimes. So Sarah will like find out and go to these websites. Reality then, Steve, yeah. He and does, then, and he's really it. accurate. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> this, is, this has been a great topic. Speaking of losing the arc to the... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> well played. Don't do what we just did. Listen, Mono, appreciate you so much for coming on. Sam, thank you so much for filling in for TJ. Always killing it every single time. I am Adam. We are the Harwood Hustle. Till next time, we're out.